The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. If we can be the agents of change for simplifying things to enable people to have a good rehab experience, to have good continued recovery, then I think we're doing what we set out to do. Hi, Deb Battistella. How are you? I'm great, Pete Levine. How are you? I'm good. Are you super excited about our first, very first pre-episode podcast? I am super excited and maybe a tiny bit nervous. Yeah, we're a little nervous. Yeah, Yeah. may as well just come out right up front and tell everybody we are quite nervous, but that's okay because um, I think that's very human and we're humans, so we're allowed to be nervous. As educators, we work with students so often who are nervous to try things. And so if they can see their teachers in a real light, maybe that will be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. We both teach and it is, I really feel bad for students a lot of the time. They're deer in the headlights and they can only focus on that one thing that's going to help them pass the practical or whatever it is. And then they they miss the big picture, the the human picture, and so yeah. Now we're we're the deer in the headlights. Yeah, we sure are. So the agenda for for this one was to give the heart and soul of this um, podcast, noggins and neurons, and to try to give our perspective on where it should go in the future, what it should be about, um, and we're just kind of brainstorming here more than anything, and I wonder. Um, if there's any first thoughts that you have uh, about where it should go and what you want it to be. Yeah, that's good. I like first thoughts. Um, For me, my first thoughts are from a clinical perspective because I am a clinician and I have worked in rehab my entire career. And over the course of that time, I have seen 
tremendous amount of change. And I've seen our medical system improve, but it always seems like there's some gaps. And I'm all about filling in the gaps. And if we could share our knowledge to fill in some of those gaps, help survivors have more confidence in themselves, in their rehab journey, if we could help people on the practical end, healthcare providers know a little bit more about how to be themselves and use their knowledge to help people in the recovery process. That's kind of where my head's at. Yeah. And so maybe that's a good place to start. I mean, we're, we're talking about, we want it to be for caregivers. We want it to be for people with brain injury. We want it to be for students. We want it to be for clinicians that are in the field anybody who's interested in this stuff. And I would extend it to anybody who's interested in brain plasticity generally, because brain injury is a great entree into the whole brain. The brain is neuroplastic thing. Um, So I think our challenge is going to be, can we figure out a way to talk to all those populations at once? I mean, here's the good news. You got a hundred billion neurons. You got a quadrillion synapses. um, And, they're controlling every one of the trillions of cells in your body and they're doing it in the background without you thinking about it. And we're sitting here nervous about a podcast, you know, the brain <laughs> is doing so much of the work for us that it gives us an opportunity to think about how simple the brain makes it for us. I mean, all this neuroplastic stuff, we don't have to care where in the brain it happens or even how the brain does it. All we got to care about is that it's doing it. So if we do just this, if we give folks just the simple stuff that they have to do, basic core concepts like repetitive practice and focus and making things repetitive, challenging and meaningful and, and, and then filling in a little bit of the gaps, I think we can hit all those people. I mean, you know as well as I do that students want it simplified. You know as well as I do that clinicians hate complexity because it makes their job more difficult. And you know, I often make a joke in, in the seminars I do, do they give you any time at work to do research? So the typical clinician doesn't have access to research, first of all, and then they give them no time to do research. What are they going to do? Go home after their hard day of work and start to look up things in clinical research. So I think if we make it simple, and it is simple because the brain is simple, it's going to benefit all those people, caregivers, stroke survivors, people with brain injury of all sorts, as well as clinicians and students. So that's what I'm hoping for, simple. I like simple. And just to play off of what you just said, one of the concepts that I've learned about since becoming an educator is that applying the knowledge, so applying the information that you gather in your research, applying what students are taught in school or, or what the survivor is learning from their healthcare provider in the moment things are happening, going forward and applying information is the hard part for people. And it's the part that's important because without application, nothing changes. That gives us an opportunity to talk about strategies, how to do that, what it can mean for someone's life. Yeah. I mean, where the rubber meets the road, right? Yeah, exactly. And 
And if we take that a little bit further, so clinicians need the strategies and they need them like very conceptualized so that they can do them. That's the other thing I wanted to talk about. Like if somebody is driving in their car, they're listening to this podcast, I would love it that before they even get to work, they have something that they can use that day. But let's go further with it. What about the person with the brain injury? What about the caregiver? I mean, it would be great if they had something that they could do at home. Now, this is a, a little bit of a slippery slope because we always have to make sure that people are safe. And the right. last thing that we want to do is, and that's why we have the disclaimer at the front of the show. We want to make sure that when people go home, that they're safe and that they're not going to do something. Hey, I heard it on noggins and neurons, and now I'm going to try it. And then they end up falling down and breaking their hip. That's all we need, right? That would be the exact opposite of what we would like to do. So yeah, we, we need to make it simpler for, for clinicians and, and for students, but we got to make it simple for people to do some of this stuff at home. I mean, one of the things I know that you're really interested in is mirror therapy. That's a very soft therapy that can be done. It can be done safely, it can be done at home and with relatively little instruction. And in fact, in some ways, well, I'm not an expert on it. You are, but um, mirror therapy is a good example of something that they can do at home and not be at real risk, but the rules are pretty simple so they can kind of do it on their own. Yes. And this is an important conversation to have too, because the carryover, it's the home program where people make the most progress. Whether a person is in rehab, they have downtime there's time for a home program. And sometimes we get into a mindset of thinking, well, I I don't even want to go to therapy or, and even clinicians think that the interventions that they're using should only be done during the clinic time. But if you've ever worked an outpatient or if you've ever been an outpatient client, then you know, in between your visits, you have to do some more work because without doing that, putting forth the effort towards that change, the change isn't going to occur, to occur. And I think this is, it's good for the clinician, the practitioner, the therapist, and the client to be on the same page for that and the caregiver too. Yeah. So we have a joke about that in, um, in rehab, there's this thing called the HEP, which stands for um, <laughs> handum photocopies. So it's, it's so technically this is a funny joke to a lot of OTs and PTs and half of the people we just lost in the curve. Yeah. HEP stands for home exercise program. Um, But it often becomes hand them photocopies at the very end, right before they go home, you hand them a few photocopied pictures of the exercises that the clinician did with the survivor the whole time they were in wherever they were, whether it was the hospital or the rehab hospital or outpatient or wherever it was or even in home care. So they sort of like, don't give them the instructions that they need to get on with the rest of their life. There's gotta be a a way to expand the therapeutic footprint beyond the clinic. Because if you don't do that, then you're really doing a disservice to the person with a brain injury because they need it to be very intensive. And we know one thing, intensive works. If you think about athletes, you think about musicians, If you want to drive robust neuroplastic change, robust enough to overcome 
hemiparesis and problems with aphasia and problems with ADLs, activities of daily living, and make them more functional, it's got to be intensive. So if you play guitar and you play for 10 years, you're diligent about it, you practice every day and you get really good at it. And then you put the guitar down, maybe you have some couple of kids, they get in the way and uh, you put the guitar down for 10 years. So you go back to guitar, it's going to be relearning. It's not learning. You already kind of know how to do it. It's just reestablishing the portion of the brain and the dendrites, the synaptic connections needed to play guitar. But now if you have a stroke and you lose the ability to play guitar, that's going to be learning. You're going to have to relearn it all again. That's the way the brain looks at it. It's going to be completely new. So I guess what I'm trying to spit out is you're absolutely right. They have to be able to do this stuff at home. It's got to be relatively simple. And so this is, I think, the thing that this podcast should be about. Can you give stuff to everybody that's simple that they can use today at home, today in the clinic? That's what I'm hoping for. I am too. And I want to talk a little bit about the term simple. Some of the things that we've done over the course of the years in our education and our continuing education is maybe overcomplicate things. And if we can be the agents of change for simplifying things to enable people to have a good rehab experience, to have good continued recovery, then I think we're doing what we set out to do. I want to encourage anybody listening, you can email us at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. And, uh, and no no spaces between the words. And, if and the you, word and is spelled out, correct? It's spelled A-N-D, yeah. So email us any questions that you have. Email us any um, suggestions that you have for, for episode topics. But here are some of the ones I have. I have uh, what is learned non-use. And we're actually going to hit that in the first episode. Um, spasticity. What can you do about spasticity? I have a neuroplastic model for it, but there's other treatments beyond that. Um, what does successful recovery look like? Like, how do you know when you're done? I was so confused by that question. In my book, I got a very successful stroke survivor to write that section. I just bailed on it <laughs> because I don't know what it looks like. It's different for everybody. I love that topic. And I'm excited to talk about that, especially right now, because people are very much into talking about defining for themselves what success looks like. But a lot of people don't take the time to think about that. And do we even ask people about that in a therapy session? So I'm excited about that one. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because if the therapist doesn't know what the, the goal is, like in the macro sense, not I want to be able to walk, but in what I want to be able to do with my life and how do I know when I get there? I mean, yeah. my understanding is it's this trade-off. Do I really want to put more work into my rehab when in fact I'm living my life successfully enough that I'm not even worried about rehab, you know? So that's kind of that. Fall reduction, what can you do about falls? What about balance problems, imagery, and and their correlates, action observation, uh, and how, you know, this is like mental practice, how to deal with that. Where, we, where are we with tissue plasminogen activator? The proximal to distal myth, it's a long story there. It gets kind of complicated. Stem cell research, where is that? Anoxic brain injury, which that's very interesting to me. The difference between hemorrhagic and ischemic stroke. 
There are big differences. Constraint-induced therapy, which is sort of the granddaddy of a lot of repetitive practice paradigms, bilateral training, and then, you know, some specific, I don't know, what, what have you been thinking about for anything come to mind that you really want to hit in, in upcoming episodes or... Yes, I actually, I've been thinking about those topics. And then as I was doing some research on learned non-use, I discovered that there are some newer treatment interventions available out there. So I definitely want to talk about that. those things. I want to, I'm very much, because I'm, I'm an occupational therapist, I'm very much interested in functional outcomes, like the real world scenario. How do we help people decide what they want to engage in. You know, what are, how do we choose these things? I want to speak to cognition, how to address cognition. And I definitely want to talk about mirror therapy because I think it's a valuable intervention and it's very much underused. Okay. So So. I I think we've pretty much (laughs) beaten this dead horse. (laughs) The future of noggins and neurons (laughs) has been established. Maybe we'll see it, but I think we should be flexible and be willing to change. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's an um, evolution. It will evolve over time. We're on a journey and we're asking our listeners to come on this journey with us and to help us with the journey actually by sending, sending us their questions Thoughts, comments. Absolutely. That's it. It's a journey, and we're off and running. We are. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and, spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified.